Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for taking the time to make us a part of your day, especially to start out the week. And it is going to be a big week. Of course, we are coming to, well, almost the end of May this week. We had the cattle on feed report come out on Friday. Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services will break down those numbers for us here in just a moment. And then in segment two, we're going to be speaking with John Baranek of DTN Weather. There's frost and freeze potential on the map for tonight. John will share with us what to expect. And then in segment three, Dr. Nathan Kaufman with the Kansas City Federal Reserve will be on the show. Nathan is uh, basically in charge of the Omaha branch office of the Kansas City Federal Reserve. He takes a look at ag policy that a lot of the KC Fed covers, and he's headed down to the Kansas City Ag Symposium in KC today. We're going to talk about the issues that he's hearing from bankers around the Midwest, and one of the key ones is labor. So we'll be talking with Nathan here in segment three. And at the end of the show, we're going to talk with our friends at Belsham. Troy Bettner, the commercial director, will be on, and we're going to look at just how the era of crop inputs and protection is changing. But before we get into all of that, we did have the cattle on feed report come out on Friday. Record setting report, largest number of cattle on feed on May 1st since the study began in 1996. Dennis Smith, Archer Financial Services, thanks for talking to us today. Yeah, hi. Good morning, Mike. Thanks. Thank you for having me on. You know, this past week, as we were heading into this cattle on feed report, Dennis, we kept hearing more and more about a wall of cattle coming at us. Did this report confirm that wall of cattle? It does confirm, as you've indicated, a record large number for this time of the year. We're at 102 percent on feed placements uh, during the month of April at 99 percent, larger than expected. Trade was guessing that number would be closer to maybe 95, 96 percent. Marketing's at 98%. Uh, it is important to point out that the marketings were slightly higher than the placements. So as long as you're doing that, it's a little bit constructive. But, you know, it's a, a broken record. Uh, 30 days ago, I thought we were looking at peak numbers and we would be heading down. Uh, and here we are 30 days later, still seeing larger than expected placements and, and uh, peak numbers. Uh, so the, the story's getting kind of uh, drawn out and old. We just continue to place cattle at a larger pace than expected by the trade. Dennis, digging into that placements figure a little bit more, was the bulk of this growth coming from lightweight calves getting moved off of drought pasture and into lots? Well, we think that the drought is still impacting placements, most definitely. For example, California, which is not a big beef producing and feedlot state, but nevertheless, placements in California were up almost 20%. And uh, I've confirmed through sources in California, there just simply is not any grass and there's no hay available in California. So you just are literally moving cattle into the feedlot because there, there's just no place else, nothing else to do with these cattle. We're seeing cattle move into Nebraska fairly aggressively, and I think that's due to perhaps uh, Nebraska has the ability or the lowest cost of gains, certainly uh, lower price corn in Nebraska than in the Southern Plains, which is looking at much higher corn prices. Uh, but at the same time, uh, placements uh, into uh, 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 Iowa are, are down significantly. So. Uh, it is rather confusing. Uh, placements of very lightweight calves might down 7%. That's the 600 pounders and lower. Possibly that's an indication that we're, we exhausted the move of feeders uh, off of dry grass into the feedlot. Dennis, as you think about that marketing figure and keeping that number higher than placements month over month is what's going to move that leverage back into the cattle feeders' hands. On the marketing front, how does it look like from the kill perspective? I understand we're expected to be about 680,000 this past week. Is that on track with where we need to be as far as the kill? 
Well, it is, and you're right. Eventually, this leverage uh, pot, so to speak, will switch to the feedlot. I mean, the the math is, is finite. You can't continue to place cattle at the rate that we've been placing cattle here for the first uh, four months of the year. We are working with a smaller calf crop. We will be working with a smaller calf crop next year. These things are pretty well set in stone. The beef cow slaughter remains elevated, so we are pushing a lot of beef into the pipeline right now. As indicated, the on-feed supplies are peaking right now. They are record high. Uh, elevated beef cow slaughter as the drought continues to, to encourage a, an aggressive beef cow cull. So you're, you're looking at a situation in, in which uh, the production is going to peak out and start working downward. To that end, Dennis, I want to ask you about the market moves today. We've got corn flat to down a penny or two, r- r- roughly unchanged since Friday. Feeder cattle, August, September, October, all up a dollar plus. Is this the market looking at that high placement and going, well, we've put all the calves on feed, so now we need to bid up to, to bring more of them out of the countryside? Yeah, you, well, what you're uh, describing is a very good possibility that the numbers of cattle uh, outside the feed yard are now approaching some sort of a record small number. In other words, we're looking at record high cattle in the feedlot, and uh, we could be approaching some sort of a record small or tight number of cattle outside the feedlot. August feeders are working on a key reversal today. If they can uh, manage a close, uh, maybe above uh, 166.30, you're talking key reversal because they did put out a fresh contract low on the opening bell. So that's possibly what uh, is happening in the feeder cattle market uh, in the current market activity. Dennis, on live cattle, do you expect to see more strength on that cash cattle price given the the numbers we saw for a cattle on feed? Well, no, I I think the the outlook is probably going to be more of a defensive tone. I think the the Packers uh, being the Packers, uh, as indicated, a record large number of cattle on feed. I think they will continue to be uh, uh, cherry pickers and stingy buyers of cattle. Uh, you know, the, the cash market was down $1 to $2 last week. Uh, it was lower than that in the dressed market. And I guess I visualize a, a, a defensive tone yet this week in the cash steer market. Keep in mind, they are buying a, a slaughter inventory for next week, which will be a disrupted short kill week due to the holiday. Um, but boy, that 680 kill from last week, as you mentioned, Mike, that's the largest weekly kill of the entire year. That was a bullish surprise, and maybe that's partly responsible for the, the higher early trade and the futures market action today. Indeed, it might be, folks. And we do know there's going to be plenty of beef out there for your Memorial Day celebrations, folks. Get out there and cook some. Our thanks to Dennis Smith of Archer Financial Services for breaking down this big cattle on feed report. Dennis, thanks so much. Thank you. And folks, stick with us. John Baranek of DTN Weather will join us when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Corn is native to the American continents and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you. And we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, Go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We are expecting to see the crop progress report coming out later today from the USDA, and it's expected that American farmers, despite some of the last week's wild weather, were able to get out and make some good progress on getting that corn in the ground. However, frost and freeze warnings are still part of the conversation, both up in our neck of the woods here in the United States, but also this past week, they were under discussion down in Brazil as well. Luckily, we've got an expert in global weather, and his name is John Baranek from DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Hey, always good to be a part of this show, Mike. You know, I want to start today's interview a little bit backwards, John, and I want to go down to Brazil first. Last week, last Monday, when we had you on, you mentioned there was the risk of frost and freeze potential down there across southern Brazil and into Argentina. I'm curious, did that end up verifying? It did in Argentina, and uh, on Friday they did have some patchy areas too in the, the states of Paraná and Rio Grande do Sul. So, um, but I would say they probably dodged a bullet there. It was cold all week. They had record low uh, average temperatures down there for this part of May, and uh, you know the frost that did occur might not have been exactly in some of the agricultural areas. So I think, I think for the most part they dodged uh, a pretty big bullet there. That South American safrina corn crop is getting ready to, to move into the combines and move out to export. John, as that finishes out, are there any weather concerns you've got there for Brazil or Argentina or Paraguay? Yeah, we got a, a front coming up here. It's moving through Argentina here today and tomorrow. It'll get up into southern Brazil and Paraguay here about Wednesday or Thursday. And it's just going to sit there for about a week. And we'll see scattered showers and thunderstorms kind of dancing around there in the southern portions of brazil uh going all the way through maybe all of next week so uh, it's going to be a wet one out there now some of the corn that's still filling and uh there's a little bit down there yet that's still pollinating so uh, they'll be able to use up that that water pretty well uh, but you're right for early harvest here as as folks down there start thinking about getting that into the combine it's going to be a little bit more difficult to do so 
Indeed, might see some harvest trouble down there in South America. But John, that's typical for the farming game. And of course, we've got farmers up in this country who have been dealing with a lot of planting trouble, trying to make the weather do what they need to do. I understand we've got the potential for some freeze and frost warnings up in our part of the world, Michigan, Wisconsin, who all is expected to get cold today. Yeah, it's just today. So that pretty much has already happened. But it was um, in northern Michigan. Actually, a lot of Wisconsin ended up with some pretty cold temperatures today, and, and northern Minnesota did as well. So a lot of it's kind of more of the woodsy areas. Uh, but some of the agricultural areas did have some of those freezing temperatures too. That's just today, though. Um, we, I, we're not really expecting much in the way of frost here for the rest of the week. Uh, but it's still going to be cooler temperatures. Uh, we've got well below normal temperatures basically from the Rockies to the Appalachians here for the next few days. So, um, you know, nothing warm like we'd expect for late May, that's for sure. John, with this cold front, let's talk about that center part of the country from the Rockies to the Appalachians, the bulk of the Corn Belt. What sort of weather, uh, kinetic weather systems, rainfall, snowfall, do you anticipate for that section of the country this week? Yeah, at least we're not talking about snowfall anymore. You know, they had some of that in Colorado on uh, Friday and Saturday, but uh, we're not expecting that anywhere else, uh, in the, at least for the near term. I won't say it's completely done for the rest of the year, but, um, well, yeah, we have one system here that's moving through the southeast. Actually, that's a little tropical low. You know, last week we talked about the potential for a tropical storm here in the Gulf of Mexico. Moved a little bit fast, and there was too much shear across the uh, the Gulf, so it didn't develop into a tropical system. But it is a little low-pressure center that's moving through the southeastern states here for today and tomorrow, some heavier rain. But the main system here is um, really moving through uh, east of the Rockies here today, developing out in the central southern plains, and producing some widespread showers um, for both of those areas. And then it'll be moving east here for Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, finish out the week. It's going to be a little bit of a slow mover. So we're going to get some rains to pile up. That includes some pretty good rain here across the drought areas in the southwestern plains. It's a little bit too late for wheat down there. Um, but, you know, any, all the other crops that, uh, that we're trying to plant here for the summer, corn, soybeans, cotton, sorghum, uh, they'll be able to, to, to utilize some of that good rainfall. Looks like on the order of about uh, an inch, maybe two in some spots. So it'll be some good rainfall for them. Well, John, some spots is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that comment. Where do you see the rainfall actually hitting? There are a lot of folks down there, cattle producers in particular, who'd love some moisture on those high altitude pastures. Where do you see that one inch coming? Yeah, or at least the, the highest likelihood of that one inch falling. Yeah, if you're in the Texas panhandle up through western uh, Kansas there, really that whole area has, has a good chances for that. We might even see some uh, good moisture in southeast Colorado as well. We could get over an inch there as well. So um, really uh, the bulk of the, the region has that, has that good chance. And, um, um, you know, really that extends pretty much everywhere eastward as well. So uh, we've, got, uh, we've got some good rainfall coming to the bulk of the country here this week. Good rainfall. John, are temps going to return to normal? Are we going to get a little bit of a warm-up here in the week ahead? Yeah, so after the system kind of passes through, it'll be a one chilly day, and then you, we start to bring in uh, some warmer temperatures behind it uh, going into the latter half of the week and into the weekend, just depending on where you are in the country. But, uh, yes, warmer temperatures are set to return here for the end of the week. So uh, the cooler temperatures we're, we're sitting under, under now won't last that much longer. All right. So we've got the potential for some rainfall. We've got the potential for some warmer temperatures. John, looking out at this week ahead, do you think we're going to be able to see a lot of the growers in that northern plains Corn Belt region get some tires moving and get some seed in the ground? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's the, the biggest uh, thing for this week. You know, there's a few isolated showers out there today, but the rest of the week really looks pretty good in terms of staying dry and, you know, the warmer temperatures coming in will be good for, for getting that. So um, especially all the way through Thursday, we should be fairly dry out there. So we could see some, yeah, tractors rolling through the fields. You know, it's still a little bit wet out there in North Dakota and some spots are still probably going to stay too wet, but I think there's a, a pretty good opportunity to get at least some, some uh, equipment rolling through. Now, unfortunately, that, does, that window doesn't last very long because we get another storm system moving into that area of the country here this weekend, and uh, several rounds of showers and thunderstorms are going to move through. So uh, we've got a short window, but at least there's a window open.
When the soil's fit and you can run, it might be a wise opportunity to get out there and get running. John, we've been talking a lot about U.S. planting progress and U.S. weather. Of course, we spoke last week about the Red River Valley flooding. That moves its way into Canada. Can you give us an update on what our farmer friends in Canada are dealing with? How's planting look up there and how's that weather shaping up for those folks? Yeah, so if you look at the Canadian prairies, uh, the eastern half from eastern Saskatchewan through Manitoba, is in a very similar situation as North Dakota, where they've just been, uh, they got hit with those two blizzards as well and the heavy rainfall um, in April. So, and they, and into um, May as well, they had another one that actually had uh, more rainfall up there than it did across North Dakota. So, they're pretty well soaked and planning progress has been very slow, especially in that Manitoba area. So, um, it's been, it's been really difficult. Uh, they'll get some actually some spotty showers this week. Um, nothing overly uh, impactful for, for much of this week, but they're going to get that system this weekend as well. So their situation, again, is a lot like North Dakota. Well, they'll, they'll see some better windows here this week, but that uh, window is going to shut here this weekend. John, it seems like the past several weeks we've been on, we've talked about rainfall over the southeastern United States, beginning at the Delta and basically working it all the way to the Atlantic. Is that a pattern you expect to see continue? No, that's a typical weather pattern anyway. Um, uh, you know, if, if you look at total rainfall over the course of the season, um, it's definitely lower in the plains and very high out on the East Coast. So, uh, you know, systems that move from the plains like to pick up a lot of that moisture from the Gulf of Mexico as they move through and really dump it across the eastern half of the country. So, you know, it's a pretty typical weather pattern anyway. But, yeah, we, we're still going to see those move through that way. So um, the system this week will definitely do that. Um, really, all areas from the plains eastward are going to get soaked uh, this week. Just depends on which day. And uh, you know, the one we, we're looking at for this weekend, going into next week, we'll probably do that at some point as well. So, yep, the southeastern states uh, probably getting some pretty good rainfall. And no doubt that will start to accelerate as tropical season heats up. You mentioned that one in the Gulf was sheared off, didn't develop into a tropical system. But John, we're at to the time that that starts to wind up, isn't it? June first. June 1st is the start of the Atlantic tropical season, so we have yet to see anything. You know, the last six years, six or seven years, have uh, had an early system in May. Um, we almost had that one here over the weekend, but it just didn't happen. But, uh, yep, we'll be watching the tropics. No doubt that is going to be moving on to our radar shortly. All th our thanks to John Baranek of DTN Weather. John, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Always good to talk to you. And folks, stick with us. Dr. Nathan Kaufman of the Kansas City Federal Reserve will join us for segment three. We're going to talk ag labor in detail. So stay with us on AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Your diesels are your engines of prosperity. So they deserve the best treatment. And with FS Fuel and Lubricant, you'll give them the gold standard. Diesel X Gold High Performance Fuel plus Suprex Gold ESP engine oil. Formulated to work together, they'll keep your diesels running longer and stronger. From farming to construction to trucking. Visit FSGoldStandard.com or talk with your local FS Energy Specialist. FS, bringing you what's next. If you're not filling with Cenex Premium Diesel, then you're not giving your fuel system the premium treatment. Cenex Roadmaster XL comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, while restoring your power by up to 4.5% and your fuel economy by up to 5%. Typical number two diesel? I guess it covers the basics. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, as we take a look at the grain complex here early, we've seen corn and beans back off from our overnight highs. The wheat market has done the same as well, although the wheat market's still holding mostly in positive territory. USDA announced another new sale of old crop soybeans as the ending stocks level continues to move lower. A sale of 130,000 metric tons were announced sold to Egypt here for the current marketing year. Now, wheat is the headliner early in the week as Russia has rejected efforts to reestablish Ukraine shipping as they refuse to allow without an unlikely removal of all sanctions. So that's something we're watching as well.
And traders are going to be watching this afternoon's crop progress report to see how much planting progress was made here last week as uh, we're going to be really trying to figure out how many corn acres will be planted late, increasing the risk of yield drag and how many acres will not get planted at all or possibly to another crop. There's been a lot of talk of uh, possibly more spring wheat acres going into the northern plains, albeit late, as uh, we see still a lot of uh, flooding concerns in the Red River Valley between North Dakota and Minnesota. Another focus point will be this morning weekly soybean export shipment total as well be looking for those numbers here around mid-morning let's take a look at numbers july corn down four seven seventy four three quarters december down three seven twenty nine july beans down 17 and a quarter 1688 november down three and three quarters 1518 moderate losses in bean meal mixed action and bean oil July Chicago wheat up 12 and three quarters, 1181 and a half. July Kansas City wheat eight higher, 1260 at three quarters. Spring wheat for July three higher, 1282. June live cattle up 27, 131.85. Feeder cattle for May up 21.53.60. June hogs up 60, 109.47. Crude oil up 11 cents a barrel, 110.39. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. There is a lot happening on the farm in 2022. Commodity prices are high for a lot of row crop producers. Margins are looking pretty good for a lot of livestock producers. There are challenges out there in the marketplace right now. There's challenges looking at those high input costs. And of course, for all of us, we're paying higher costs for fuel. And most folks are paying higher costs for labor. All of this is changing the way the ag industry addresses its finances for the 2022 and 2023 seasons. Well, one guy who keeps his finger on the pulse of those issues is Dr. Nate Kaufman. He's a vice president at the Kansas City Federal Reserve Bank. He is based in Omaha. He's the regional economist for Nebraska, and he is also the KC Fed's resident ag economist. Dr. Kaufman, thanks for joining us today. Good morning. Glad to be here. Now, I understand we caught you on the road. You're headed down to Kansas City for the annual Ag Symposium. Nate, tell us, what is the topic of discussion down there for the KC Ag Symposium in 2022? I am actually headed to Kansas City. We're hosting a symposium today and tomorrow on the topic of labor. And we can talk about all of the disruption of the past two years, ranging from the pandemic to the war. But one of the comments that we've heard uh, really constant through that time and before has been surrounding labor. So we're going to dig into that topic these next couple of days. Nate, what are you expecting to hear? Labor in ag is a unique issue. We've got seasonal demands. We've got physically demanding full-time demands. What type of folks are you bringing together to share their, well, their challenges with labor in 22? You know, the idea is to bring in a wide range of businesses and industries that would be connected to agriculture. So ag has changed very much over the decades. It's not as much everything happening on the farm the way that it used to. There are now many segments of the industry that are specialized skills, whether it's transportation or services or marketing that happen in other places. And so it's really trying to ask the question more broadly about what sorts of skills might be a need in order to move uh, conditions in ag and productivity forward. 
So no doubt you've been having conversations with folks in this space about labor. Nate, is it starting to impact folks' bottom line? Are you seeing labor costs rise throughout the the Fed, the KC Fed's district? We, we are starting to see labor costs pick up. It's been really the case for the past year, year and a half maybe. Um, and even when we consider agriculture, it's actually one of the components where costs are projected to rise most substantially, even notwithstanding some of the increases that we've seen here the last six months or so. So we do see pressures in labor that have been building for quite some time, even before the pandemic. And it's one of the things we want to try to better understand. So that is going to be an ongoing educational process, I think, for everybody who employs folks uh, in America in 2022. Nate, you mentioned higher labor costs impacting margins. We've got higher input costs. Unleaded gasoline hit a record price again today. According to AAA, diesel were three cents below the record price. And we've got interest rates rising. Nate, talk to me about overall farm financial health in the KC Feds district. How as an industry, are we looking heading into this season? You know, 2022 still looks pretty good. Commodity price is very high. That was mentioned at the outset. Of course, there are all of the costs that you mentioned, which are challenges in a lot of different ways, in addition to, for some producers, the, the cost of higher interest expenses. Um, but 2022 looks strong. I think the bigger question will be going forward if we start to see declines for whatever reason in commodity prices, but many of those input costs potentially stay high the question about what that means for profits. And of course, there are some segments of the industry already dealing with very high feed costs and the livestock sector and, and some parts of the industry that have been struggling. And to that end, have you seen credit opportunities for those folks, and I'm thinking particularly in the livestock space, be they dairy, cattle feeders, hog producers, have we seen any lessening of access to credit for those industries quite yet? Access to credit has still been strong. There has been um, a decent amount of availability of credit. That's been in part because of relatively strong conditions in ag the past two years in contrast to the years leading up to the pandemic. Working capital levels are much higher. Um, bankruptcy rates are much lower. Uh, there has been a fair amount of credit available in addition to those producers that have equity built up in land that can use that as an additional resource. Equity built up in land. Nate, I pulled up one of your recent papers. I believe this one came out on Thursday. You looked at non-irrigated cropland values in the first quarter of 2022. and just looked at some of the percentage increases. North Dakota, 23% increase. Iowa, 28%. Illinois, 18 Kansas, 29 Oklahoma, 16% huge increases in farmland around the country. Based on your work with lending institutions, do you think the ag industry can continue to pay these elevated prices for farm ground? You know, I, I think that it's possible that, that land values could still remain relatively strong, even if we don't see those kinds of gains. I think it's probably not realistic that we would continue to see 20% plus increases in land values, and that's coming off of levels that were already very high. Much of this is going to be tied to really what we see by way of profitability and commodity prices, though. And, you know, the elephant in the room the past two months on that question has been the, the war in Ukraine and what different uh, scenarios might emerge from that as it relates to commodity markets. And what type of scenarios are you planning for at the KC Fed? What, what are you hearing from lenders around the country? You know, I think right now, I think conditions still look strong. And again, it's why lenders are still in a pretty good position that access to credit. Um, I think the challenge scenario evolves, again, that if input costs still stay high and we don't have an environment where we're continuing to see rapid gains in commodity prices, uh, it's conceivable that profit margins could fall back a bit. And, and again, keeping in mind that prior to the pandemic, profit margins were really not that great and in many ways supported by government programs at that time. So we're mindful of the potential to return to something that's maybe a bit more challenging, even if this year still looks good. Interest rates are on the move, Nate. We're seeing them start to rise. We're hearing from Fed Chair Jerome Powell that many more interest rate hikes are coming on the horizon. Thinking about the borrowers that your ag lenders work with, how much sensitivity is there right now in margins to higher rates? Are they going to be a determinant as to somebody getting or not getting a loan this next year? I think that there could be some cases where maybe it's a bit more of a challenge, but it's probably still important to keep in mind that the current level of interest rates is still very low historically. Yes, they've been adjusting up and there's been some concerns and talk about what that might mean going forward. Of course, for new borrowers, especially if they are trying to buy 
something like farmland, that would be a bit more of a challenge. But I think that there are larger um, issues or bigger, more things that are more prominent in terms of impacting producers' decisions that are probably not immediately interest rates. I think the cost is probably the first factor. And of course, then thinking about revenue by way of prices. That certainly makes sense. And Nate, as we think about costs, they have been climbing higher as farmers over the past couple of years have had a lot of dry powder. They've had cash on hand, be it from high commodity prices or government programs. Uh, but we saw operating loan volumes decline. How have they trended in 2022? Are these higher input prices making farmers borrow more money? There, there are some signs of that, that we're starting to see maybe some larger sized loans that show up a little bit more often and in some, in some places, maybe some segments of the industry a bit more as it relates to operating expenses. But at the same time, again, this is coming off of two years of really strong conditions in ag. And in many places, farmers have been able to use some of their own financing and not require as much debt. Uh, so for the most part, the, the industry has been well positioned when it comes to finance and again, supporting the overall improvement in credit. Demand from our from your territory, KC Fed, of course, you're covering a lot of the Great Plains. Drought has been hard. We're seeing the livestock sector in that area continue to suffer. Nate, what issues are you watching as this 2022 heats up from a farm finance perspective? I think one of the big things that we're paying attention to right now is just the number of different disruptions that we see in the marketplace. And of course, this all started with the pandemic and, and lots of things connected to that. But then it was the, the war in Ukraine. We're, we're of course dealing with severe drought in, in the western part of our region, but further west and southwest in the country. And then we have other issues like avian flu that pop up and, and different things like that are, that are generating additional uncertainty and volatility. So it's the volatility, I think, that we're really trying to pay attention to in terms of what it means for how producers make decisions and how lenders see uh, the environment around risk when they're making loans. And how are lenders adapting to this volatile environment? You know, the old joke is bankers are are a very button up bunch there. They like things to be traditional. Well, it's tough to be traditional when wheat's moving 60 cents a week one way, then another. Nate, is the ag lending industry adjusting to this area of volatility? I think the first thing that they're looking for really is probably working capital. Um, those producers that have strong levels of working capital and, and really strong risk management processes and practices already in place, I think for the most part, there probably hasn't been a lot of significant change in terms of the way the lenders are interacting with those borrowers. It's maybe those that, that, have, that haven't had as much emphasis on risk management or maybe they've gotten a little bit over leveraged in, in, in whatever way. Their conversations have looked a little bit different, but again, credit, credit availability overall is, is still pretty strong. That's good to hear. And interest rates are going up, but not catastrophically. Nate, looking out to this year ahead, what are you excited about? Uh, I'm sorry, could you ask that one? Well, I was just going to ask you, as you look out to this year ahead, are there any big opportunities you're excited about for agriculture? Um, I think some of the opportunities would be the fact that demand has still been very strong and, and not just in the U.S., but globally, we're seeing demand for a wide range of products, ag and otherwise, really quite strong. Exports are very high. And so I think that when we look at this at agriculture in a global context, it still seems like there are lots of opportunities for profit. That is good news for a lot of folks out there hoping to get rolling, getting that crop in the ground or getting that livestock taken care of this week. Our thanks to Dr. Nathan Kaufman from the Kansas City Federal Reserve. Enjoy the Ag Symposium. We look forward to those conversations on labor. Thank you, Nate. That sounds great. Thank you. And folks, stay with us. Troy Bettner, Commercial Director at Billship, will join us after we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. 
because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Most folks just stick with the diesel engine oil they know, because why sweat the details? But you don't. You're one of those who'd make the switch. And we're talking to you. Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils give you the smartest oil for the toughest conditions. While the others experience wear and tear, you give complacency a kick in the pants. Cenex Maxtron Diesel Engine Oils. Oil that runs smart. water is open. It's time to go boating and fishing and leave stress in our wake. Feel the wind as we ride and a fish on the line. Reel in our first catch and feel the sun at our backs. It's get out on the water season. It's time to get on board. Find out where to get on board near you. Visit Take Me Fishing and Discover Boating to learn more. And please recreate responsibly. Get on board. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support. Give you tips for living a better life. And share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better Better lives together. How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS Crop Specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS Crop Specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Ironman. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. You know, this is the third planting season that I have not been directly involved with a farm in any way, so I'm living vicariously through my friends on social media, and it seems like each week I see more posts about folks just running hard to get into those tiny open windows that we've been had throughout this entire planting season. Folks, if we're going to be working that hard to get our crop in, we've got to make sure that crop is healthy and it's going to produce the maximum amount of bushels it can when it gets to the end to that end it helps to have clean fields well we're going to talk about that next with troy bettner he's the commercial director at belsham crop protection and troy thank you so much for joining us on aoa today well thank you mike great to be here this morning appreciate it for folks who maybe aren't as familiar with the name belsham as you hope they will be why don't you fill us in what does belsham do so thank you mike uh belsham uh, crop protection we are a globally based crop protection chemical company. We're uh, based in Brussels, Belgium. And uh, we are owned by um, five Japanese research-based companies with uh, Mitsui being our primary uh, ownership. And um, if you look at our presence across the globe, we have a, a large presence in Europe and in Canada and in South America and in the, the uh, U.S. market, we're growing more and more. If you look at our sales globally, we're well north of $500 billion. So if you uh, take that from an equivalent standpoint uh, along the lines of maybe the AMVAC, so it gives you some kind of relative perspective of our size. But yeah, we cover the globe, we're research-based, uh, and we're looking to bring more and more innovative products to the United States uh, crop protection market. Well, let's talk about those innovative products. Troy, we've got you on the line. We've got a lot of folks out there who, who are spending a pile of money on crop protection, and they want to make sure that integrated weed management program is working. How can Belsham help folks maximize that? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I guess taking a step back, it's been a, a very interesting year. And I guess the way I describe it for agriculture and, and farmers is innovative resilience. You know, we, we, kind of walked out of this post-COVID world, or we hope we were walking out of it. The input prices, uh, you know, have been extremely high, fertilizer, chemicals, everything, gasoline, or petroleum, fuel. Uh, thankfully, commodity prices are up as well. Um, and then you, you add on to that, Mike, the supply constraints that are all around. We're all aware from every angle that we interact with our world that supply constraints are an issue. And then start moving forward, you know, we had weather and delayed planting dates or many times replanting. Um, and so all this has created shifting weed control strategies because of those aforementioned issues. And as we, you've gone through the season, what, you know, what am I going to put down as a pre? Uh, then now we're starting to focus uh, on the post herbicide con weed control options. And what are, what are my options available to me? And as I, I, it, start looking at those dynamics going on in the post uh, herbicide weed control options world uh, we, we know many of them and one of the things that keeps growing more and more though is this this resistance uh, and resistance to the weeds and if you look at you know the United the, the Midwest market the United States there we're, we're looking at um, six you know six major broadleaf weeds that are resistant the Palmer amaranth the com common water hemp kosha common lands quarter, common ragweed, and, and giant ragweed. And looking at, uh, you take those weeds across various uh, multiple modes of actions or uh, classes of chemistry, and some of these weeds are resistant up to seven classes of chemistry. So it, it presents a very um, interesting challenge and dynamic as we look at post-emergent weed control. So with that resistance continuing to grow and continuing to be a, a really a frightening specter for a lot of growers out there, Troy, what has Belsham brought to the market to help take care of this? So um, good question. Uh, you know, quite a few years ago, um, we, we started looking at the landscape of the U.S. market. And what is we want to bring solutions to the marketplace that, that growers are needing. And resistance obviously was a growing issue, concern that will continue to grow. I, I draw the analogy on the pharmaceutical side to antibiotics when, you know, we go see doctors and, you know, we, we get antibiotics and you look at all the new classes of antibiotics being developed to battle the resistance that is going on. And, and it's the same way we are battling the, this, this whole weed issue in, in the United States. Um, and so years and years and years ago, Belsham started looking in Europe at this issue and we started looking across into the United States and 
back starting, you know, in the mid 2015-16, we started doing research with PureDate, this, this new active ingredient we're bringing to the U.S. market. Uh, and we start working with Iowa State, Purdue, Illinois, uh, all the major universities to, to look at this product as a great tool to fight this resistance. Um, when we're looking at these, you know, at that time, there's obviously a few classes of chemistry that are resistant. Now we're up to seven on, on certain weeds. So it was, it was something we started going, this is a, a, an active ingredient, a tool that growers could utilize in their weed control systems where, number one, they can control the, their current resistant issues, you know, the weed bank, uh, we, we hear the, the weed seed bank um, from universities today, but also looking at the future as well. You don't want to be depositing these resistant weed seeds, so we need to take care of the problem today. So by bringing Pure Date or Tough is the, the, the trade name, it not only you know, kills the resistant weeds today or helps helps control the weed resistance today, but it helps reduce the seed bank uh, of those resistant weeds for tomorrow. And with that, you know, by controlling that, Mike, is, you know, a lot of times by adding tough into uh, your tank mix with your, your HPPDs or your atrazines, we're seeing, um, you know, weed control increases from 5 to 29%. And that's a lot of uh, weed seeds that are eliminated for the future when you start talking those type percentages. It is indeed, and I understand Belsham has enough tough on hand right now to meet farmers' needs. Troy, where can growers go to get more interest information on the product or to get connected to a dealer? Great, good question. Yeah, um, all amazing, large, large retailers and distributors have this product, and best way you can go look for product information is at www.belshamusa.com. BelshamUSA.com. Folks, check that out. That was Troy Bettner, Commercial Director at Belsham. Thanks for tuning in, folks. That's today's show. We'll be back tomorrow looking at the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework that was just announced from the Biden administration. We'll see you then. Tune in on Tuesday to AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, soil date 31655.4. We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. Guess you can say our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. Um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil fleet humor. <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station.